All right, you guys get the gist. You sit down now. That's perfect. Uh, I already introduced myself, but I didn't introduce this series we're going to do. And it's kind of like a little juke because it's not really a series. What we're going to call it is Pastor's Picks. And if you were with us last summer, we did the same thing. And the reason I love this so much is because oftentimes there can be this gap between what feels like the congregation and the pastor. That maybe the pastor has it all together and they're the one preaching, they're the one leading worship, they're doing all these things and so we think they have this spiritual world figured out. That they're living the perfect spiritual life. And that there's no way God is teaching them anything, right? But no, that's, that's clearly wrong. There's something incredible about being able to stand up here before you tonight and just bring you a word out of what God is teaching me. That tonight when we do pastor's picks, I'm picking this because this has been a text in Acts 3 that has blown me away. And Jane is going to stand up one time this, this summer and Dylan's going to follow. And in each of them, they're going to bring something that God's been doing in their soul. And they're going to bring it to you and be able to speak the truth of who God is in that way. And so tonight we're going to be in Acts 3, like I said. But before we get there, I got to tell you a story because why not, right? It's preaching. So in this story, it, it, it honestly starts unbelievable. Because I was 15, and I had a friend who for Christmas got a trip to Mexico. His grandparents, who were unbelievably wealthy, they were both lawyers, and they owned their own practice, told him for Christmas he could go to Mexico, we went to Cabo, and he could bring one friend. And we were close, but we weren't that close. It was one of those ones when he came up and he asked, he said, hey, I get to bring a friend completely free to Cabo, Mexico for a week. Would you like to come? I I like had to do like a swivel because I didn't even know for sure he was talking to me. But for my 15, when I was 15, I got to go to Cabo for free. And here's another crazy part of the story that it perfectly lined up that I turned 16 while in Mexico on a free vacation. Now listen to this, my birthday, and if you need to write this down, you can do that, February 16th. So I had my golden sweet 16 birthday in Mexico for free. Like, it does not, the Lord has blessed me like above all. So then when I got there, it was an incredible trip. His grandparents were splurging on everything. Like if we wanted it, they bought it. They were those kind of grandparents. And so one day they asked us, they would just wake up and they pretty much had the checkbook ready. And they said, what do you want to do? And we said, we'd love to go snorkeling. And so they booked not just a snorkeling trip where you get on a little dinky boat and you drive out. They got us on a huge two-story party boat with free drinks. We were under the age, but free smoothies, pina coladas, non-alcoholic, and then free food for like two hours both ways to this snorkeling place. So we are living the life. Like, you can't even imagine. I'm in Cabo for free. It's my 16th birthday. I'm eating tacos left and right. And as we're on this trip, All I'm looking forward to is just ordinary going snorkeling. And in the middle of the ordinary, something extraordinary happened. That we were driving, I don't know if a boat drives, but we were on this boat and it was driving somewhere. And right next to us, whales started jumping. And I had Jaina make together a slide and Izat, you can put it up. But I need you to visualize this. That I am on this party boat, sipping smoothies, shoveling tacos, and 15 feet from my boat, this is happening. We are on a snorkeling excursion, about to go get in the water, and I'm just excited to hopefully see Nemo in the water. And right next to me, these whales are jumping. And in the middle of our ordinary trip, 
This boat driver, the captain of the boat, stopped it and threw on some whale noises. He must have had that, the MP3 hooked up right away, ready to go. But for the next half hour, in the middle of what was just an ordinary trip, I got to watch whales jump out. There was big whales. There was some baby whales. I'm telling you, it was so cute. But in the midst of this story, I want us to start to highlight this idea that in the middle of the ordinary, something extraordinary can happen. And in the middle of our ordinary, something extraordinary can happen. That as people, we can sometimes get stuck in the ordinary. That if we did some psychology studies, and I read through a handful of them this week, they say somewhere between 40 to 60% of your daily decisions are habitual. That you don't even think about them. You just make 40 to 60% of your decisions every single day without a second thought. That when you came here, you probably got in your car and turned the ignition and you didn't think about doing that. You opened the door, not because you were like, all right, hand, grab the handle and open the handle. And no, you knew how to open the door. You sit here breathing. Now you're thinking about it. But before that, you were not thinking about it. Every time you put food in your mouth and you chew, you don't think, ah, bite, bite. 60% of decisions you make every single day are habitual. We're creatures of habit, creatures of routine, that we get stuck in the ordinary. And I picked that word stuck kind of intentionally because sometimes in the ordinary, we can have this process where we can kind of get in a rut, where we didn't really choose to be there but all of a sudden we find ourselves there and we don't really know how to get out of that rut. And for some of us, that rut feels godless. And don't get it confused. It's not because God is not there. He's all present. He's in every place. It's because when in that rut, we can't feel or see God there. That we choose to live the life that God has given us spirit-less instead of spirit-led. This is the rut of ordinary life in which sometimes we can get stuck in. Yet it's in the middle of that when I want us to open to Acts 3, and through 10 verses, see how in the middle of this ordinary day, God did something extraordinary. So pray with me as we open up God's word. Father, thank you for the chance to open up your scriptures. Would it come alive to us in a way that is real and tangible? Would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what you have for us? We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, we're going to ex examine our ordinary. Before through the second half, we're going to expect the extraordinary. So when we're examining our ordinary, I want to read it to you. Acts 3, starting in verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It was 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every single day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him the, them his intention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit every single day begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. We're examining our ordinary. What's your everyday look like? Are you a routine person? I know we do the 40 to 60% of the daily like, stuff that we happen, but are you a routine? 
Do you wake up and you have the same thing for breakfast every single day? Me, peanut butter and jelly toast. Don't you dare put it together. Peanut butter, creamy, grape, jelly. Like four or five times a week for sure. Sometimes I mix it up and go waffles, but I do that all the time. And I always leave the crumbs on my table. And the wife, she says, you should sweep up those crumbs. And every day, I don't sweep up the crumbs. Maybe that's part of my 40-60%. But maybe for you, it's your morning routine. You go to class, you go to work, you do the same thing right when you get there. Then you go through your day, you do the same thing and the same thing, and you leave and you do the same thing. Well, that's what's happening here. And when you look at verse 1, I'm going to read it to you again. It feels pretty ordinary. It says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It was three in the afternoon. That feels like a nothing verse. Like, okay, factual information. We'll kind of push it aside. What, what is there for us to learn there? And it feels ordinary because it is. That there is this Jewish tradition that three times a day, they would have this consecrated moment of prayer. That morning, afternoon, and evening, they would stop what they were doing and they would pray. That if they had access to the temple or the synagogue, that's where they went. So that's what you have here in Acts 3. That Peter and John are in Jerusalem. So they can stop what they're doing and walk to the temple for this morning, afternoon, and evening prayer. And it was expected that they would. But some people, they didn't have the flexibility of that. So maybe they would just stop where they're at, right at work, and they would stop and they would pray. It was these consecrated moments of prayer. And so Peter and John being raised Jewish, we see them in this habit. That every day of their life, from the moment they could probably walk and talk, three times a day, following the law, following the tradition, doing what they were supposed to do, they showed up and prayed. That's their ordinary. Now, if you read the next two verses, you're going to see another peek into a different ordinary life. This is the ordinary life of the lame beggar. Here it says, now a man who was lame from birth, lame means paralyzed here, he was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. That this is just an ordinary day for this man. That every single day, he was picked up on probably a mat by friends and carried from his home to the temple gate. And he would be set there. And he wouldn't be the only one. There was probably hundreds of people who would sit at this temple gate and beg. That there's a picture that they're going to throw up. That this is probably what the temple would have looked like. That it was destroyed in the first century and so we don't actually know for sure. But many scholars have gotten together and they've agreed it probably looks something like this. And on there I've circled for you the gate beautiful. That's the gate being described here in Acts 3. That it is the east gate of the temple. One in which was the most popular to enter. And so thousands of people would walk through this gate into the temple to worship Yahweh, the Jewish God. Every single day, three times a day, thousands of people would walk through. And so here we have this man for his whole life. It says he was lame from birth. If you were continue to read in Acts 4, you would see he is 40 when he's healed. So every day, for nearly 40 years, he gets carried on a mat and placed right before that gate. And if you didn't know, in this time, there wasn't opportunities for you if you were lame or paralyzed. That for some people, it was actually a death sentence. That they weren't able to work. There was no job for them to earn their keep. So this is what was expected of them. They needed to find those people to be able to be laid at the gate, to be able to beg for their money in hopes that one day, someday, they would get enough money to be able to buy the day's food and buy the next day's food and buy the next day's food. 
And if they didn't get that huge lump sum, they showed up the next day and the next day. Because if they wanted to eat, it was going to be from the generosity of those people who walked through the gate called beautiful. That they lived off the generosity of people. And they assumed that it would probably be the religious people who would be most generous. That this is the city of Jerusalem. Literally anywhere in the city he could be laid down and begged. But yet it's probably believed him alongside hundreds of others would be placed in front of this gate in hopes that the religious people would offer them something. The fact that he has made it to 40 years old is a testament in itself. That for some reason this was working. And when Peter and John show up, to the man, they're no different than the thousands that would walk past every day. You can see it in their exchange. He asks them for money, but he doesn't even lift his eyes to look at them. He's just shaking the cup. Peter has to demand that he looks at them. He doesn't even have the decency as a human in this moment to try to make eye contact with the thousands of people who walked by and probably rejected him every single day. But in this moment, Peter and John walk up and everything's about to change. The man expected nothing different, but Peter and John, they expected so much different. That for 40 years, for as long as this man could hold a cup, he had been set on the doorsteps of God's house to beg for his life. And then everything changes. Two ordinary days and something extraordinary about to happen. But what made that day different? Right in this picture, when they walked through that gate for this time, what made it different? They'd gone there to worship their whole lives. What was different about this day? Remember, this is Acts 3. I want to tell you Acts 2 makes this different. The Holy Spirit makes this different. That today, as we gather in this room, if you didn't know, it is Pentecost Sunday. That this is a Christian holiday. And Pentecost is the Sunday celebrated 50th, the 50th day after Easter. That the word Pentecost in the Greek just means 50th day. And all that this does is it symbolizes what was traditional in the Jewish holidays. The Jewish holiday had this huge festival called Passover. And at Passover, they would come together, and it was one of three holy days where, the pilgr- where there was a, called a pilgrim day where all of the Jewish men would travel to the holy city in order to worship. Another one of those three holy days was Pentecost. And so if you were to flip back to Acts 2, you see in verse 1 that it's the day of Pentecost. That there's this Jewish celebration being being, uh, celebrated. And all of the Jewish men from the surrounding region have traveled to Jerusalem for this day. And as they sit there, They're celebrating what was for them in the Jewish calendar the most important day of the year. They were celebrating Moses receiving the law at Mount Sinai. Today, as we sit in this room, we no longer celebrate the law. That's not why it's Pentecost Sunday for Christians. But yet we still celebrate Pentecost because on that day, some 2,000 years ago, something amazing happened. The Holy Spirit came. See this in Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came through heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That if you didn't 
put it together, back in the Old Testament, when we look at Exodus, there's this people group, the whole nation of Israel, that's led outside of the nation of Egypt back to the promised land. And as they're being led through this wilderness to go to the promised land, God leads them in two different ways. In the daytime, he leads them by a pillar of cloud. By nighttime, he leads them by a pillar of fire. In Acts 2, it says there was this violent wind that came into the room. And in that moment, fire that looked like tongues rested on the heads of all who had gathered there. And in this moment, God's spirit, his presence, has come to dwell among his people again. That in Exodus, he led them with a pillar. Now he leads them by his spirit inside of them. That during Pentecost, this spirit came and it filled Jesus' followers. And the spirit's filling of the believers changed everything. That there, there was, Aaron Cloud this morning said it so well. He said, Pentecost is like the church's birthday. That this, this, this holiday that we're reading about in Acts 2 changed everything. It's when the church became the church. It's when, when Jesus, what, who he was and what he taught, it's when it actually started becoming. That before this, there is the same group of people who was locked in this room behind closed doors in fear of what the Roman and the Jewish citizens would do to them. They were terrified to even be in public. They would lock themselves in privacy as to hope to save their lives. That same group of people encounters the Spirit of God at Pentecost. And the next thing that happens is Peter stands up before them. And before a crowd of thousands, remember, men from all over the region are gathered in Jerusalem. He stands up and he preaches and 3,000 are saved right there. That same Peter was cowering days ago terrified of what his future would be. That same group of people, you read at the end of Acts 2, that they started sharing meals together, living together, caring for the poor, serving one another, worshiping, and sharing in the Lord's Supper. Every day they would meet and worship God and learn. That same group of people, prior to the Spirit coming, was locked behind closed doors, terrified for what might happen to them. When the Holy Spirit showed up, it changed everything. And Joel, the Old Testament prophet, said that this would be true. We can read it in Acts 2.17. He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show them wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and the glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Pentecost changed everything. And when everything is changed, Peter is too. But he wasn't excluded. We see him preach this sermon. But we also see him walk into worship different in Acts 3. That as he walks into there, the Holy Spirit had changed Peter. And in turn, they, partnered together, changed this man's life. Remember, the man was not expecting anything different. He doesn't even look at Peter and John. He just asks for money. And while he wasn't expecting anything different, Peter and John were. That Peter and John knew the Spirit was here. They knew he was moving. And as he was moving, they wanted to go wherever, however, and whenever to partner with him in that. Like, imagine this. Peter and John aren't even in the temple yet. They're in the parking lot looking for the miracle. 
They haven't even stepped into the church building and they're already so expectant that the Holy Spirit wants to do something, that the beggar who sits there every day that nobody looks at, that's the guy they want to have an encounter with and have his life radically changed. They didn't just show up to say prayers on this day. They showed up to be radically changed and to be a vessel of who God is. In the middle of their ordinary, something extraordinary happened. So what's your ordinary like? Peter was prayer. The lame man was begging. What do you do when you wake up? What do you do when you travel to school or you go to work? What do your relationships look like? Friends and family? How do you spend your free time? Check this out. How did you walk in here today? This is just a normal worship service, right? Nothing too crazy. Words being preached. Songs are being sung. You maybe haven't been to Oasis before, but you've been to something else where probably church or... or how do we walk in here today? With this ordinary, I'm just here, checking it out, seeing what's up. Or did we come with this expectation that we live on the other side of Pentecost? That the Holy Spirit is alive and active, seeking to move in the lives of all people. Do we come with that expectancy? That in the middle of our ordinary, God wants to do something extraordinary. And when he is willing, it's up to us to be expectant. And so that's what I want us to look at. But as I flip, I want us to ask this other question. How do we go about expecting the extraordinary? Here's a question. Have you ever experienced something extraordinary? It doesn't need to be whales jumping off the side of the boat. Like, they weren't on the boat, but you guys know what I mean. And it doesn't have to be like a lame man who all of a sudden popped up and started walking. But have you experienced something extraordinary where you were like flabbergasted, jaw hit the floor, I couldn't believe it happened? Like, here, Isaiah, there's a video. I'm a huge soccer guy. Don't get it confused. I am wearing a baseball jersey, but my one true love besides my wife and Jesus, so my third true love is soccer. And so you need to watch this because this is extraordinary. Check this out. Think of Ibrahimovic uh, setting up Martial yeah. yesterday. Oh, a big striker. We've got fire breaking here. Sanchez. Behind I mean, come on. And you, you're out there like, oh, that's not that impressive. That is crazy. It's so crazy. You got to watch it again. What about this? Okay, that man's name is Olivier Giroud, and he plays for Arsenal. Well, he used to. And that is unbelievable. That is exceptional. That is extraordinary. And we have something to learn from him. That when it comes to expecting the ex uh, extraordinary, we can learn something from Giroud. And we can learn something from Peter. Because they have this thing in common. They both exhibited faith. Now, it's faith in different things. Like, he understood that his body maybe was able to do that. I promise you I can't do that. And Peter had faith in Jesus. He says it. He says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. But they still had this belief if he didn't believe, why would he have thrown his leg behind his head? They call that a scorpion kick. I don't, my, my back hurts 
thinking about what he's going to feel the next day. But he threw his leg back there, contorted himself in that way because he believed somehow, some way, that ball could go in the goal. And when Peter shows up at the gate and he sees a man who hasn't walked in 40 years, for some reason, he believes that he can. That when we're trying to expect the extraordinary, we must start with faith. Because faith prompts action. Hear this from verse 4 again. All of that, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Acts 3, verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from him. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, this wasn't some gradual process where he helped Tim. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. That for some reason, Peter showed up to worship different this day. And in the middle of his ordinary, something extraordinary happened because he had faith to believe that it would. That he believed that this man could walk. And I want to take this even deeper. That why does he even believe? Right? Because if action comes from their faith, where does their faith come in the first place? I want to tell you that if faith comes from, or if action comes from faith, then faith comes from example. That both Peter and Jerude, they'd seen that before. That the Arsenal soccer player did not see me do that. But I guarantee you, somewhere in his life, at some time, he saw someone do that, or at least try that. Where he had this idea, and he's like, I think I can do it. And he did it. And as much as I love soccer, I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on what Peter does. Because this is so incredible. That Peter believed this man could walk because he'd seen it before. I don't even have time to begin to open up every miracle that Jesus does in the Bible. I don't, I don't have hours in the day to sit here and to explain them to you because they're that numerous. But here's two. That in Mark 2, there is this paralyzed man who is carried on a mat by his friends. Sounds kind of familiar. And he's carried by this mat up to the roof. And his friends begin to rip apart the thatched roof of this time. And they lower their paralyzed friend down to Jesus. And in this exchange, you know what happens? Jesus tells him, get up walk. And the man walks out of the house he was just lowered into. Peter, he was there. He saw that. John 5, there's this paralyzed man who had laid on his mat next to the pool of Bethsaida. Day after day, year after year, he'd laid there and hoped by some miracle he'd roll into the water and become healed by the waters bubbling. That this was his only hope, just like the lame man beggar. His only hope was the financial generosity of the people. This man's only hope is the pool bubbling. And so he lays there day after day after day. And in John 5, Jesus shows up. And you want to know what he says to him? Get up. Walk. And on that Sabbath day, he didn't roll into the pool. He stood up instantly and walked. In both of those instances... The word Jesus used to pray for this healing is egaro. It's this Greek word, this command that means get up, walk, awaken. 
when Peter in Acts 3 is standing here and he stands before this man, he says the word, Hagaro, get up, awaken, walk. That what Peter is doing here is he's not just conjuring up some, some mystical art, he's living in the faith that he's seen exhibited in his Savior. This is the beauty of what's happening here in Scripture, that Peter believes this man can be healed because he's seen Jesus do it before. So how do you and I start to expect the extraordinary? We have to believe the extraordinary can happen. So many of us, we've, we've lost belief. Remember when I started this sermon and I told you this was pastor's pick? That God was doing something in me where I wanted to bring you this word. So many of us, we sometimes lose belief. That we see Jesus save us. We have heaven, salvation, relationships. We, we've got it pretty good, but we stop expecting for more. That we got our salvation, we got our ticket booked, everything's good, but we stop believing God will continue to do the extraordinary in our ordinary lives. And I want us to start believing again. That when it comes to our families, can we believe that addiction can be healed? Can we believe that redemption is real? Can we believe that forgiveness is powerful? When it comes to your workplaces, can you believe the coworkers who are around you that can sometimes feel like it's a, just a toxic cesspool of culture and brokenness? Can we believe that in that place, our coworkers can come to Christ? Can we believe that in our workplaces, that boss, who, we just cannot believe they said that thing again, they did that thing again, they were cruel again, they were mean again, they were unfair again. Can we believe that that boss might one day come to praise Jesus? Can we believe that when it comes to ourselves, that our very own minds that feel broken and damaged and we're stuck in anxiety and depression and, and hurt, and, and can we believe that God has a peace for us that goes beyond understanding? That in our bodies, when we have sickness and hardship and hurt and pain, can we believe that the same Jesus who told that man to walk, the same Jesus that opened the eyes of the blind, the same Jesus that brought the dead to life, can we believe that that could be true for us in our own lives? The sin that so easily entangles, the sin that we, we've tried so hard by our own might in our own trial to get over it, to get past it, to get through it, to put it behind us. But yet time and time again, it overwhelms us, it takes us down, and we just feel lost. Can we believe again? So by the grace of Jesus, we can overcome through the power of the Spirit. And if you're sitting here tonight, you just say, I don't have that belief. I lack that. Then look to the example we have in Jesus. That up here I have a Bible. And if you don't have one, we'd love to get you one. Come talk to me tonight but you can get it on your phone. Some of you probably have it with you here tonight. This Bible is not just some fairy tales of made-up stories. This isn't just some lofty thing that happened by an author who was really creative. No, these are real people with real names, with real stories. 
that I can flip to you page and page again of Jesus doing miracles. I can tell you about Jesus bringing freedom. You can read it for yourselves about Jesus transforming lives. And he did it by the power of the Spirit. And Paul turns around in Romans 8, 11 and tells us that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So I want us to look at our lives. I'm looking at my life and I'm seeing a lot of ordinary moments. And I want us to ask this question, where might God want to bring something extraordinary in the middle of the ordinary? I'm going to invite the team back up. But that's not just a reflective question that looks good on a screen. That's what I'm going to give us a minute tonight to wrestle with. That I don't know if you're in the godless rut, I don't know if you're at the mountain pot top moment, I don't know, I don't know where you're at. But God has something he wants to bring about through each and every one of us if we will step up to the plate, be faithful and expectant. That if we will lean into the spirit, not by our own strength, not by our own might, not by our own goodness and talent and skill, but by the power of the spirit and the grace of God, he would do something in the lives of people around us. That we can believe and expect the extraordinary. That we can look at the example of Jesus and live like that. So as you go tonight, Will we live differently? Because the word of God has encouraged us to live for the extraordinary. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give us a minute or two. I'll let Jana make the call. To just pray about this. That in your ordinary life, where might God be asking you to, to, to believe for something more? To have faith. To believe he can do it. Because he can. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your scripture and your word that speaks to the depths of the human soul. Hebrews teaches us it cuts piercing bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And I pray that it does that tonight, God. That as we open up your word, we see these ordinary days, God. But in the middle of the ordinary, something extraordinary happened, God. And we want that. We want your spirit to fall for him to come and to fill our lives, for our ears and our minds to be attuned and sensitive to his guiding. So that as we walk through our days, as we end up in workplaces and classrooms, as we end up in families, apartments and dorm rooms, God, as we are in friendships and relationships in every single place that you would have us, God, we would see those as divine opportunities for us to partner with you to further the gospel mission. Thank you for Pentecost. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the chance to worship tonight. I pray that your spirit would speak in these moments as we go into this time of prayer. That in a way that is supernatural, God, you would bring thoughts and ideas and people to mind. That we would have the boldness and the courage to live out this week. And I pray that in Jesus' name.